Like it or not, I'm going to deal with three things in their future. I'm going to deal with, with the predestination of God. We're going to deal with the propitiation of Jesus. And then we're going to deal with the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And that may sound weird to you, but these are things that I've known for 30 years. I just need to, I just need to talk to you about it before I leave this planet. So this morning, we're going, to, we're going to begin with the easy things. For the next few weeks, we're going to deal with what we refer to as the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And we gave you the wonderful example of what the Trinity is really about. It's just one apple. It's not all us and heteros. We found out last week. The peeling is the character of the Father. The core is the character of the Son and the seeds of the Holy Spirit. It's not three different fruits. It's, it's just one. It's all in one. And like I told you, when I look at a seed, when I look at a seed, I, I, see, I see apple pie. You see a, a small bug, I see an apple pie. I see apple with furniture. I see something different than you. So we'll get to that in just a moment. So, so the preface this morning is... Why do I need to learn about the Holy Spirit if I've already given my life to Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Because some of you may say, well, if I get the Holy Ghost, will it make me goofy? You're already goofy. So no, it will not make you goofy. So I'm going to put this because that I was raised in one side of the church and we have a lot of different denominations here. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to try to debunk everything. I'm trying to make you mad so you'll think. My job is, is to either make you shouting glad or fighting mad, and I do both of them well. Thank you. <laughs> but in the next few weeks, we're going we're to be very simple and easy with, this, with you, but I want you to know, why do you need to learn about the Holy Spirit? It's because he's the great persuader in our life. Yes. Yes. And we'll talk about this in the next few weeks. So the Apostle Paul goes to the upper part of Ephesus with Apollos. Him and Barnabas is already split. And the Apostle Paul runs into John's disciples and they're preaching repentance in water baptism. And Paul says, this is 26 years after the cross. So the Apostle Paul said, have you boys been baptized? He said, we've only been baptized in the baptism of John in water repentance. And he said, but have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And he said, we don't know anything about that. And Paul said, I'm glad you asked, and even though you didn't ask. <laughs> See, what I'm telling you is for 26 years, these men have been faithful to preach repentance. But Paul said there is another level. There is another dimension. There's another layer. And for you that are denominational bound, you think now we're going to lock the doors and get goofy. We're not. I've been here 35 years. We've never been goofy. You're goofy. We're trying to get you lined out. <laughs> so it would like... As we begin this morning, it would be like for me to go to an unbeliever and say, hey, do you have a relationship with God as your heavenly father that will deposit love and mercy and grace? And they'll go, no. And then you know what I would say? You're missing out. Or it's like, it's like going to a Jew and say, Shalom, do you know Jesus as your personal savior? And they said, no, we know about God, but we don't know about Jesus as a personal savior. And you know what I would say? You're missing out. You're hitting your head against the wall and you're missing out here. And now then I'm going to take it to another level. I'm telling you as a Christian, do you know anything about the working of the Holy Spirit? And you're going to go, 
not much, you're missing out. See, in an automobile dealership, there's really two people that's important, I guess. One is the salesman, and you know him. He dresses in a gray suit and a blue shirt, and he's got fancy shoes on, and he says, all the things you want to hear, buy another one. But the other guy is more important than the salesman. That's the guy in the back. That's the mechanic. He doesn't look anything like the salesman. He doesn't dress anything like the salesman. He doesn't smell anything like the salesman. But I want you to know, if you want to tear it apart and put it back together where it's working, that's your guy. The guy at the front said, oh, just found you another church. No, that's not the answer. Go to somebody that can tell you how this thing works. I'm the mechanic. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just trying to help you get your life back together. And we can do that even though you've been saved and even though you love God and even though you have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm telling you, there is a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you don't know anything about it, in the next few weeks, you ought to show up. It's great. It's a different world. It's a different life. And as we found out last week, and we'll begin this morning. So I don't want you to miss out on anything. So the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer so this is found what we found last week. We're starting simple, and then we're going to work the predestination, and then I'll really cause some of your wig to turn backwards, but it's okay. We'll, we'll turn it around. John 14, 16, Jesus said that I'll pray to the Father, and he will give you what? Another. Not a, but another. So before there can be an another, there evidently is already one existing. Another comforter, and we spent over an hour last Sunday dealing with this comforter, parakletos. It means advocate. It means a helper. It is a lawyer's definition by the word on our behalf. On our behalf. If anybody here been to court, you did anything wrong, anybody here got arrested, look at Mark Becker jumping up and down. Oh, he's proud of that, yeah. This section and that section need to get together. So you, you go and you go before a judge and you have an attorney. Hopefully you have an attorney. And, and what is that attorney? He's your parakletos. He's beside you and he's going to speak for you. Para is where we get a word for parasite. Para, attached to you. He, so the Holy Spirit, your comforter, he's attached to you. He'll never leave you. You will never, if you're born again of God, you will never lose the Holy Spirit in your life. Never. Ever. You may think you left God by sitting on a bar stool or smoking a joint in the middle of the road. And I don't recommend anyone, but the Holy Spirit said, you're the biggest knucklehead. Why don't you straighten up? A lot of great men repented driving down the road in in an unsober condition because the power of the Holy Spirit never left them. I don't know about you, but I'm very glad the Holy Spirit never leaves us. You'll leave me. You'll leave me. This section, who knows? But the Holy Spirit will never leave me. And he's constantly persuading me to be more like the image of Jesus. You can't get away from me. He'll make you miserable. You won't have fun in the world anymore. The things that make you laugh don't make you laugh anymore. So what happens is, on our behalf, the Holy Spirit is given to us by God. As another comforter. So what does another mean? We talked about heteros and allos. It means Jesus, the Father. We talked about the Father deals with eternal things. Jesus is dealing with the external things. 
And the Holy Spirit is dealing with the internal things. So Jesus at that time was a, a fleshly comforter. He comforted the blind and the wounded and the outcast, but these people were never born again. They could never be born again outside the Holy Spirit. We know this. So in John 21, when he breathed upon them and he went to the upper room and all the disciples and, and he breathed on them, it's a Greek word called emphaseo. It means to, it's the aroma of springtime. For the first time, their nostrils were opened up. And we'll deal with this, but listen, here's the deal. In the garden, sin plugged the nostrils of mankind. Because when you have a stuffy nose, liver and lasagna takes the same. Yes, it does. You'll only know it by the texture. When someone closes your nose off that you cannot, because science says that the taste bud is connected to the nasal passage. Anybody ever had a head cold and your wife says, what do you want? He said, it don't matter. It all tastes the same. I understand that. Sin in the garden plugged the nose of mankind and they never smelt the aroma of God since they left the garden. Every religion tasted the same. Blah, 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 blah. Killing a goat, killing a lamb, killing a gopher, stuffing a cat. It's all the same. It didn't mean anything because they didn't know any difference until in the upper room when he, when he went to the upper room and the, on the eighth day and he blew on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was the moment these men become born again. Impasale. It's a word for blowing in the nostrils as he blew in the nostrils of Adam and he become a what? Living soul. In John 21, when Jesus breathed into these men, they, their soul become alive again. That's when they become born again. So by definition, wind, spirit, breath, in the Hebrew, is all the same word, ruach. So what happens is the Holy Spirit is in our life to deal with eternal things. Internal, excuse me. So the Holy Spirit, as Jesus was a comforter, what did he do? He was a friend of sinners. He ate with the publicans and sinners. He, he, he did things externally, externally that made a lot of people mad. But it never changed the inward part. But the Holy Spirit deals with the internal the internal. So here's some facts concerning the Holy Spirit. The number nine in the Bible is the number of the Holy Spirit. Many numbers in the Bible have meanings. And you've, we've talked about this years ago. And if you don't know, I'm going to give you a rundown, but not really. But, but the one's important is, is three is, is the Godhead of the Trinity. Four is the number for balance. Five is the number of grace. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of the fullness of God. Eight is the day of circumcision, new beginnings. And nine is the nine of, of the Holy Spirit. Ten is government. And it goes on. So the number nine is the number of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The number nine, Holy Spirit, means completion maturity, development. The number nine, there are nine fruit of the Spirit. There's only one, not fruits, but fruit. An orange just has sections, but it's just one orange. It's like taking a tube of toothpaste and reading the back of it. I can't even pronounce it. But it's telling you there's ingredients, and we just call it toothpaste. 
And there are nine gifts of the spirit. Haris gifts. So you've heard me say this, but the fruit of the spirit is the process. But the gifts of the spirit is the product. Where's the apple pie going by? This is the process. That's the product. And for my Pentecostal friends, this is why we're all weird. Because when this is unripe and sour, no matter how pretty the crust is, the pie is bitter. In Pentecost or in Assemblies of God or whatever, Foursquare, Apostolic, whatever, they really are not interested in ripening of the fruit of the spirit in your life. They're more interested in baking you a pie. And we got around people and I've been around people. I'll tell you, you meet them and say, my name is so-and-so. And they start speaking tongues over. You go, my goodness, stop that. And somebody told me one time we was at a, an Emmaus group and they said, well, we can't control it. I said, sure you can. Corinthians 14 said that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Yes. Yeah. And he looks at me and he says, does it really say that? I, would, I said, I wouldn't tell you that if it didn't. He said, can you show me? I said, absolutely. And he said, what does that mean? I said, then you have the right or the power to control the spirit of God in you in certain times and seasons. Don't say, oh, I couldn't control it. Sure you can. So when you understand the process of the fruit of the spirit, that I'm more interested in getting you ripe, mature, developed, way before you start a cooking class. Because we've all was interested in cooking a pie. We say dumb things. And then you're going to say something dumb, like, like something I'm going to say, where did you hear that at? Not me saying that. That's not what the Bible says. Where'd you get that at? Well, I heard it on the radio. Turn the radio off. Open the Bible. That's not what he says at all. So the fruit of the Spirit has everything to do, the number nine, is ripening, developing, maturing. And the gift of the Spirit, the number nine gifts, has everything to do with this. I'm, I'm fully convinced on this. I understand the gifts of the Spirit. I operate in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm fully, I carry a, a card-carrying Spirit-filled person. Have I ever spoken in tongues in this church in 35 years? Nope. You know why? Because the Bible says, Paul says, if eating meat offends some of you, don't eat it. So I would rather show you other sides of the spirit of God, not to, not to inflate myself or impress you or make you think I'm somebody that I'm not. I'm just doing what I can by the spirit of God to provoke you to learn more about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because some of you this morning never raised around that. And if I just got jumped up and set the piano on fire and speaking in tongues, you may head for the back door quickly. <laughs> and the only ones left is me and Gala. <laughs> But before long, we will give you a wonderful definition of what each fruit of the Spirit is in very English terms. Very, very easy, very good. And it'll surprise you. So this is what I say to you before. I think God is interested in the number nine because nine is so important. Before we start serving pie and start a cooking class, God said, I want you to become ripe and develop first. 
And if you don't know, then don't give a wrong answer. Just have the courage to say, I'm not for sure, but I'll call somebody and we'll give you a good, solid answer. That's the smartest thing to do. Instead of going to a, a police department bomb squad and you have no idea and they say, red wire or green wire, and you're going, uh, don't do that. So the development of the Holy Spirit is the product because before we leave here, before you leave me, I will fulfill 1 John 4 and 1. I will try every spirit to see if it's of God. The word try is a word called dogazimo. It means to examine. It's a Hebrew word for an autopsy. I'm going to lay it open and we're going to see what kind of spirit are we operating in. And I want to know, are you teaching a class because you want to be rich and famous? Are we doing spiritual things because we want to draw attention to ourselves? We want to know what every spirit that we're operating because, because we are commanded to do that. Even as Jesus said, there will many false Christ will come in my name. Well, there'll be false manifestations of the spirit as well. And here's the rule of thumb is this, that if it's the true Holy Spirit, it will always glorify God and it, it will always push and announce the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the true Holy Spirit because he said, when the Spirit of truth shall come, he will not speak of himself. But he'll only hear what the Father said. So anytime that there's, you hear this big outpouring of something, and if it's, not, if it's not encased or shrouded by the Word of God, I doubt it. If you tell me this morning that you don't know anything about the Word of God, you only know about one Bible verse and you know half of a Bible verse, but you tell me the Lord spoke to you and said this, I'm going to tell you straight up, I doubt it. I think it was gas, not God. Now, I understand that he can speak to Balaam's donkey, and I'm not ruling you out because of that. But I will tell you that, that the Spirit of God operates, and he manifests, and he magnifies the Word of God. And if you want to show somebody that's really operating in the Holy Spirit, in the power of God, uh, you'll have to show me somebody that's operating in the full Word of God. Because it's not another gospel, it's not another Jesus, as Paul said, and it's not another spirit. You have all those, but it's not the gospel, it's not the Jesus, and it's not the Holy Spirit. But he said, but you bear it well, it, it, it serves you well. So that's kind of confusing, but it shouldn't be. We should be great students of the word of God that would honor God, glorify God, magnify Christ. And when, when you do that, the Holy Spirit will begin to encase you and empower you and equip you for life. But if you're doing it for your own, you're, you, well, it's, it's just not good. So we're going to examine every spirit. We're going to examine every spirit. We might as well. We've been commanded to do so. Why not? I want to know what's going on. I don't know why we're doing that. And the last number nine we're going to talk about is nine months of a pregnancy. Full term. As James says, let your patients go full term. There's nine months to a pregnancy. Well, I understand there, there's, it could be off a little bit, but. So the number nine dealing with the Holy Spirit, it gives you an idea that there's maturity involved. The Holy Spirit wants, and I'm not going to ask you for a raise of hand, but, 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 but are we really as mature as we should be? Don't, don't do anything. Are we as mature in Christ as we need to be? 
or are we still hitting and missing and stumbling over the furniture? Are we still are we still focusing in on where did the dinosaurs go and what happened to the unicorn? Or are we are we really are, are we really zeroing in, in what this thing is about? And it's the deity of Christ and his kingdom and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit activating in our lives. That should be the answer. And I, I as like every pregnant woman. You know, when Gayla was pregnant with the boys, it don't matter. She'd go into a mall and find other pregnant women that look like a, you know. They'd all be gathering their bellies sticking out, you know, and they'd be talking and laughing. They'd set their Pepsis on top of their belly and they'd just talk and he all. And I said, who are those people? She goes, I don't have a clue. They're just pregnant. I understand. Versus someone that just sticks a pillow under their shirt. And what's funny about this, my desire for you is to be so full and impregnated by the Holy Spirit that we just enjoy hanging around and talking and visiting because we have something common because we are filled with the kingdom. And versus that you live like hell Monday through Saturday and you come in and go, well, I don't blend in. I'll just just fake it. I'll stick a pillow. I want you to know, I still see the feathers coming out of your stomach. Are you with me? I want you to so be so filled with the Spirit of God that you can't help me around people that's filled with the Spirit of God. Even as John the Baptist around the, the womb of Jesus, he jumped for joy. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. But more than that, I, there's maturity and development and, and, and these things because he wants to produce a sense of ripeness in you. That when people, that, that when you begin to operate in the gifting or the offices of the Holy Spirit, whether whatever it may be, that it's, you're not producing a bitter product. You're not saying, well, it's my way or no way. Well, that's not an answer. They deserve a good answer. So what happens, I've learned through the years that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit will help break apart the Word of God. We're going to learn about this. I know you don't believe this, but... I really like talking about the Holy Spirit because it's a part of our lives. It's as much part of my life as, as, as motorcycles is the Virgil. The number three Godhead and the number for man is six. And when you put them together, it's found in Matthew 1, 23. His, his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Think about that. Jesus, Yahshua, and us. J-E-S, and then us. It's Yahshua, God, and us put together. Yahshua, Jesus. So what God said Emmanuel means, it means the number three of the Godhead and the number six of man. And when you put the Godhead and man together, what do you get? You get a God-man. You get Jesus. Think about that. He said it. God with us. God's now going to invade a body of mankind. And I know when you read that, you go, well, is God with us like he's around us? That's not what the emphasis here. He said God is going to invade for the first time. He's going to be, he is going to be the, the only begotten, monogenesis, one of a kind. There'll be none like him. He's, he's one of a kind. He's the nature of God that's invaded because of a woman's seed into a human body. And there's none like him. He is Emmanuel. He is number three God that's invaded number six man is producing Yeshua or Jesus. The Holy Spirit has come to do the same thing in us. 
We are now, we learned last week, we are now what? Sons of God. Wow. Matthew 27, 45. I told you this is simple, so. Matthew 27, 45 says this, and from the sixth hour, talking about the crucifixion, from the sixth hour was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. They took him to the sixth hour. The number six is the number of man. Man took him to the cross. The number nine, the ninth hour, is the number of the Holy Spirit. Man took Jesus to the cross, number six. The number nine, the ninth hour, was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit took him off the cross. First Corinthians chapter 13. Let me give you the Greek definition. You've heard this. We're using the wedding vows. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. It's meek. It's, it's long-suffering. It's never boastful. It's never proud. Love hopes in all things. It believes in all things. Love endures everything because the love of Christ will never fail you. That's the good old King James. But let me give you the Greek lexicon for this. Love has nine characteristics. When the love of God is fully perfected in your life, love is made up of nine ingredients. So you say, oh, I love you. Well, do you now? Well, let's jot these things down. <laughs> Patience. Kindness. Generous. Humble. Courtesy. Unselfish. A good temper. Righteous. Sincere. The word love has been used so long cheaply that this is the, the biblical definition of love. These are the nine ingredients that make up the word love. That when we really begin to love him, we're patient, we're kind, we're generous, we're humble, we're courteous, we're unselfish. We've learned to control our temper, we're righteous, and we're sincere. Love has nine ingredients in it. Matter of fact, in the Message Bible, we're going to read this because some of you don't even read your Bible, so here we go. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swollen head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. And love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't reveal when others grovel. Nor does it take pleasure in flowering, excuse me, but it takes pleasure in flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything. Love trusts God always. Love always looks for the best. Love never looks back, but it keeps going to the end. The King James says, love never faileth. The Greek word for faileth is a word called ekpipto, in case you want to know. And ekpipto, by definition, it means it's a love that never depreciates over time. It always increases in value. So my wife and I, watch this. How long have we been married? 
No, you tell me first. <laughs> 42 years. Say she knew it. Let's give her a round of applause. Thank you. <laughs> but I love her in ways so greater than the day I proposed. And this is what I'll say about the love of God because Galen and I, I've said this, but first apartment we lived in, you can sit on the commode and turn the eggs at the same time. <laughs> Didn't have anything. Scrape and change. What, really? Scrape and change out of the couch. Cushions. We didn't buy people. We didn't buy people like the divorce over because we knew they had a lot of money. And we would hope and they would lose change in the couch cushion. No, that's not true. That's not true. Lord, forgive me for that. I just lied. But through the struggle, somehow it produced something strong. Instead of just walking out and giving up and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not condemning anybody here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pouring, I'm not doing anything here. I'm just telling you from me, this is about me. This ain't about you. But I found it through the years of struggles and bankruptcy and losing houses on Christmas Eve and, and just horrible things, one right after the other. But it, it took something more to keep us going forward, more than our own good looks and more than our own education because we didn't have either. I didn't. But I had something that I didn't know what I had. I had the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in my life that would not let me surrender or turn back because evidently he had a plan for your lives to put me in your life. And I'm glad he did. And you're going to find out the longer that you go with God and serve God, God has never promised you dreams and rose gardens and all these things. Somebody's lied to you. That's why I've always said TV preachers always come on at 3 a.m. because you're delirious. You'll buy anything. That and infomercials. But the longer you go with God, the more you'll begin to love him in ways that you've never known before. And it's more than just like my grandson running around the building. It's a deep-seated love. It's a trust. It's a sincerity. It's humbleness. It's being generous to God. It's being kind. It's all these things that's wrapped up. And the longer that I serve him, the more that I love him. But it's in ways that, that I did not know or understand when I began this thing. That's what I'm trying to sow into you. I'm trying to get you to see that you really should not put all your stocks and bonds into other people because other people, including me, will fail you. But you need to put all your stocks and bonds in this thing that the love of God will never leave you. Matter of fact, not only will it, it will not diminish or depreciate, but it'll only, it'll only increase in value, especially when you get close to death's door. Because Jesus taught us not only how to live, but he taught me how to die. Peter last week not only taught us how to live, but he taught us how to die. So all through life, there's graces. There's, there's saving grace, there's singing grace, there's serving grace, and there's a dying grace. And Christ has set the example for all of these. So the epipto is a Greek word that means that things do not tarnish and it doesn't lose its value. So these coins that I find in the cushion, if I go today and I got to go, but if I, if I find coins in the cushion and they're, and they're made 1964, if it's a quarter made 1964, you still understand it's still a quarter in 2023. Yes, yes. 
But if it's a gold coin, it's increased in value. And I knew years ago I should have invested in gold instead of cotton balls. I thought it was the best thing to do, but I was wrong. So God is like gold coins that, that, that as time goes, it just increases in value and worth. So the love of God by the Holy Spirit, he is here to make this thing. The Holy Spirit's job is to make this thing available and awakening to you of who Christ is. But, but the role of the Holy Spirit, and next week we're going we're gonna to really kind of get down to a, a better level with you. But I, I want you to understand there's all types of signs and indicators of the Holy Spirit. It's everywhere. You just didn't see them. You overlooked them. And from now on, the gifting of the Holy Spirit and the, and, the, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit are all in operation in your life. But he's waiting for maturity and growth and development. And he's not waiting for you just to reach a certain point. He can use you. But we, 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 we learn as we go. Did you work? You know the word disciple. Be my disciple. It, it means to learn on the go. The learn on the go-go. He didn't have a class and say, you boys, I'm going to lecture you for a while. He would say something and, and, and off he'd go. And they'd say, what did he mean by that? And one would say, I don't know where we're going to go. My job is not necessarily to, to just sit here and give you a lecture for 45 minutes on a Sunday. My job every day of the week is to say things that will cause you to continually follow Christ. Learn on the go. But it's the real deal. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit this morning, lastly, is found in we, we, we saw this last week, but I'm, I'm going to clear this up because I couldn't get to it last week. So the purpose of the Holy Spirit is found in St. John chapter 14, verse 26. We, we have discussed this a few times through the years, and we have some new people here. So I'm going to, we have some people here from Wilson, so we're going to be very slow when we say this. There are really basically three words in the New Testament for the word Teach. Um, Matthew 28 is go and teach all nations. That is a word called matatuo. It means to bulldozer down. That's what that means. The word nations is word ethnos. It means ethnic backgrounds. So Jesus has given them the last lesson and he said, hey, listen, teach all nations. It means that when you have Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and, and all these other people, Assembly of God, Foursquare, Pentecost, Holiness, you're going to have them all. If you were all one denomination, this would be just an easy thing, cut and dry. But, but we're all different. Turn to somebody and say, you're different. My goodness. If you really want, if you really want Christ to be glorified in your life, this is the first thing we do is teach, bulldoze down all ethnic backgrounds. Ethnos. I was, I was, anybody here raised Pentecostals? Raise your hand. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. Baptist? Yeah, I don't care. Methodist? Yeah, we don't care. We don't care. We're just glad you're here. Church of Christ? Presbyterian? Foursquare? Vegetarian? Whatever. You know what my job when you come here? I bulldoze that down. Well, my doctrine says this. I don't care anything what your doctrine says. I'm not disrespecting you. Well, my, in the sentence of God, they had 16 fundamental doctrines. I didn't learn one of them. I didn't care to learn one of them. I want to know what Jesus said. He's the one that has life. He's the one that has eternal life. Why in the world do I want to get confused with algebra and organic chemistry? I ain't got room for that. 
The second word is the word didasco, teach. It means to instruct, to educate, or to inform. There's a word for teach. The first word, matatul, it means to bulldoze down, tear it down. And the reason why you tear it down, because we start over, that you may, you may teach them to observe all that I've said. So two words in Matthew 28 for teaching. The first one is tear it down, and the other one is this one, to instruct. Now then, I'm, I know your doctrine said this, but, but let's find out what Jesus says about this. Why the baptism will not save you? Peter said, but it's an answer to a good conscience. If water would save you, then God should have sent a sprinkler system instead of a sun. So the first word means to tear down, and the second one means to instruct. And I used Acts 1 and 1 because there's 100 through there, but that's not this word in John 14, 26. Let's go back and read it. But the Comforter, Parakletos, which is the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. We talked about the same thing. Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now, when you read that on the surface, does that, do we have somebody here that's fairly new? I'm not even going to look. Fairly new. Anybody here been less than 20 years? Well, you're, you're, you're new. Okay. You get this idea that the Holy Spirit's going to educate you. That's not what this is. That's not what this is at all. And the Holy Spirit, the Paracletos, which is my advisor, my helper on my behalf, that he's going to teach you. He'll educate you. That's not what this word is. This word, the other word is didaskolos. Didasko is the word for teaching. This is the word called didaskolos. Skolos is where we get a Greek word for scoliosis. And so some of you know this and it, it's worth repeating. But if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, then let's get it right. There's times that the Holy Spirit will educate you and instruct you and teach you and, and inform you of certain things. But that's not what this verse is. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, when he comes, he will teach you all things. The word teach is where we get a word for scoliosis, skolos. Scoliosis is what? It's the curvature of the spine. It's something that's twisted. It's something that is bent over. It's distorted. It's crooked. Someone that you see in the natural that has scoliosis, you're going to know what they're talking about. Their spine is crooked. We don't know if they were born that way, but we know over time they become crooked. It's amazing that we as Christians, if we're not careful, because events that happen in our life, we begin straight, but things twist us. Doors are slammed in our face. Unkind words are spoken. The preacher preaches way too long. <laughs> and before you know it, we're sitting in church and we begin this thing straight and upright. And, and but before you, long, you know, before long, things begin to happen where we become twisted, distorted, and scoliosis begin to happen in our life that we become bent over, crooked, and instead of growing this way, we're growing this way. And if somebody could be honest with you and they would meet you for the first time and they would say to you, and you walk in in a, very, in a very unpleasant attitude and position and condition, these people are not faithful, they're not loving, they're not giving, they're not generous. And, and after a while you say, are, are you a Christian? Well, I am. And then I would like to say something smart like, really? 
I mean, has, has your heart notified your face lately? Because, because sarcasm sets in and sarcasm is a German word for sarcastic. It means the tearing of flesh by dogs. And when someone laughs with sarcasm, a growl and a smile both show teeth. Sarcasm is very dangerous in the church and it doesn't believe in, in the ingredients of God's love. Stay with me, I'm leaving. So now then what happens is this, that, that some of us, because someone died in our life, someone passed away, somebody divorced us, we went bankrupt, someone, someone stuck their tongue out of us in church, and it all happened in church. And before you know it, we begin to get twisted and bent over and contorted. Remember wicked, wicker, wicker furniture, a wicker lamp is something that was once straight and now then wicker is twigs that was twisted. And before long, as we go through our Christian life, before long, we are, we are, we are so bent over and we're so curvature and we're so twisted up, we can't even function. Jesus dealt with a woman like that and I'll get to that next week. But, but, but here's the deal. That when the Holy Spirit really comes into your life, He will teach you all things. He will untwist you, uncurve you, unbend you where you're straight. The world will, will use curvature to twist you in the wrong direction. And the Holy Spirit will use curvature to untwist you. And when the Holy Spirit has come in your life, empowered by God, endorsed by the Word of God, that every crooked, twisted, perverted, bended, broken areas in our life, when He begins to speak in our hearts, He'll begin to untwist the twistings in our life. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And let every valley be brought up and let every mountain be brought down and let every crooked and twisted and curved thing in your life be made straight because Jesus has come. You can spend the rest of your life complaining and being twisted of why you're that condition. You can spend the rest of your life and you can file in here and we won't kick you out. Well, we might, but we won't kick you out because you had it bad. Somebody did you wrong and should have wrote a country western song. And I understand it was actual and it's factual. The love boat turned into the Titanic. I understand. Puppy love turned into a dog's life. We understand. But how long are you going to be bent over? Jesus said, how long, woman, are you going to walk like this? And I'm telling you, it's very simple. On your own and by yourself, you cannot help yourself. But God said, I'll send the Holy Spirit 
and he will begin to uncurve, untwist, unbend all your bendings and all your twisting that's got you messed up. That you'll think straight, you'll act straight, you'll walk straight in the likeness of our Father. I've said this a lot and I'm going to let you go. You say, well, my gosh, evidently you were born with a silver spoon and you were born in a perfect home. My mother and father and my family was more like the Adams and the Munsters than the Cleavers, I'll assure you. Growing up in church, I was raised in church. As a young boy, my mother and father, my, my father led singing. He was a great singer. My mother and father were separated, I think, in the first 15 years of my life more than they were together. It's very confusing. My grandparents seemed to be the, the bomb shelter that we would go for days and weeks at a time. My whole life, my whole life, my mother and father took us to church. It's pretty obvious my father would get up every Sunday morning and say, come on, boy, we're going to go to God's house. But it's pretty obvious that God didn't come to our house. Pretty obvious. And so when I grew up and I rebelled, imagine that, me rebelled. When I, when I met the love of my life, I thought, man, this is how I, all I know about marriage is yelling and screaming and fighting and throwing things. And boy, did I follow good old dad's footprints. Man. But I will tell you this, I'm not perfect and I have not yet arrived, my boy Preston, but I'm further down the road than I was when I began. And it's all because of the Holy Spirit that has never left my side. You'll never give up. You'll never turn back. The Holy Spirit will always keep you moving forward towards the likeness of Christ. Ain't God good? Father, this morning for every one of us and all of us that have had things to happen to us as, even while we've been Christians, things that we didn't expect, we didn't plan, we didn't count on, we surely didn't want. The loss of a friend, unkind words of a close friend, the death of a loved one, the abandonment. It did something to us. It, it began to twist us, curve us, distort us. It not only distorted our physical man, but then it began to distort our mental man and our emotional well-being. And there's some here this morning that are barely here, but I'm so glad they're here. There's some this morning that limped in here emotionally. They're wounded. They're hurt. They're twisted. They barely got here. But I'm so glad they're here. There's some here this morning that's had their brains beat out over religion, doctrine that had been beat down upon them so much. Someone has reminded them of their lack of self-worth and all these things that were twisted and emotionally brutally beat down that we can't even function in life, much less have joy in the house of God. But there's one thing that we know for sure, that your word is true. And you promised us that you would send a helper to us 
that would help us. And we need a lot of help. So this morning, Father, would you just do something so simple? Would you just let your Holy Spirit fall this morning upon this place for the next 30 seconds? And as I said last week, when the Holy Spirit fell, it was the prodigal son's father falling upon the son's neck, kissing him. Just to let them know the boy was loved. Holy Spirit, would you just please fall on us this morning and remind us that we're loved. And the process of scoliosis will begin to go in reverse. There's going to be a curvature. There's going to be a twisting, but it's the untwisting. It's the undistorted. And before long, things in our life that used to be twisted and distorted and crooked are made straight again. For every heart that's been hurt, for every mind that's been wounded, for would you just speak to them this morning, please, Father. And let the nine ingredients of love radiate in our life wherever we go. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. And we accept it. Fall on us this morning. Let the weak say that I'm strong. And let the poor say that I'm rich for the things that Christ has done for us. And we give you thanks this morning in the wonderful name of Christ. And all the people of God say, Amen. If you believe that, give the Lord a praise offering and stand to your feet. Would you please? <laughs> Turn about two or three people and say, not only do I love God more, I've learned to love you. I was a little worried about you at first, but I love you now. Oh, yeah. I thought you were a cat person, but I love you. <laughs> Will you do me a favor? Will you stay with me for a few weeks? Will you just stay with me a few weeks? Let me take you on a journey. Will you just stay with me for a few weeks on the Holy Spirit? Let me just take you on a journey. Oh, my goodness. Communion service, if you'll please come. We celebrate Holy Communion every week. It's the last thing we've been instructed to do. It's a reminder of the gift of God. The disciples did it every time they met. They broke bread. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. They had fellowship and they prayed. They were connected not only to one another, but they were addicted the Holy Communion, because it was at the Holy Communion, if you remember the road to Emmaus, their eyes were open. Jesus followed his aunt and uncle back to Emmaus. Those are the two disciples, his aunt and his uncle. Not knowing who he was, 
Even though he spoke powerful things and they recognized it until they broke bread. And the Bible says when they broke bread with him, communion, their eyes were open. And my prayer for you this morning is this, that as you break bread again, the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to some things that you never thought was possible. So Jesus sat with his disciples and he took the bread first and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the bread, the unleavened bread. But he said, John 6, that my father sent bread, manna from heaven. And your fathers did eat, but they did hunger. But then he said, but I am the bread of life. And if any man eat of me, he will never hunger again. Wow. How would you like to have something into your internal part that you would hung never hunger again? And then he took the cup and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the, 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 the lamb's blood. The owner of the house, they would take it, the lamb's blood and place it upon the door in the shape of a cross that when the death angel, the Abaddon, would come to the house that he would pass over. And Jesus said, gentlemen, I am the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and my father will take my blood now in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Father, we pray that you bless this cup and bless this bread and for all those that partake of it, that we invite the Holy Spirit to be activated in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.